We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Singapore, Maya versus Askren, Cody Saftik. What's coming up? off the heels of a good card for you? I was horrible, but a couple winners uh, last week. Um, Aiden Queskin, longtime listener of the show, took down the 100K throwdown, which was a cool 25K to first, won by 30 points over second place, which is a runaway. So congratulations to him. Super happy for you, man. For sure. Um, Like, he wasn't even putting very much. Like, I don't know how much he had invested, but, like, crazy ROI there. And then our boy Angel, or Angel, I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. You've been around forever. Um, Angel. Angel D three one five. He took it down second in the triangle, yeah. and uh, took home three k. So people were listening to you, which is usually the right idea. You're saying they didn't go Chris Weidman banged up two hundred five Weidman. Yeah, people good. Yeah, that that is one hundred percent the uh, the move is fade or shag shag fade is is shag in full fade. force right now maybe i'll back. hopefully back. i'll get back on track at some point but uh it's been a couple of rough weeks for sure but uh congratulations to aiden and angel i'm gonna go with angel uh congratulations to you guys that's fuck. that's awesome absolutely awesome yeah, just happy to see people people in the community taking home the big bucks uh they were helped out by uh brett as well who because does really good project projections and stuff everyone in the community knows him uh, Brett Apley, uh, who's keeping notes? Oh, yes. Uh, so if you want to get into a draw, or sorry, last week, all over the place. 20 DK dollars. All over the place. Uh, last week, Eric Block, that's E-R-I-K-B-L-O-C-K. You are the one winner of 20 DK bucks. Cody, why don't you tell the people how they can win 20 DK bucks this week? Well, going back to once upon a time when Nate Marquardt punched out Damian Maya, everyone had this perception that Damian Maya was the worst striker in the UFC. Best grappler in the UFC, but just a terrible striker. He's come strides. Such strides that he definitely has a perceived striking advantage over one Ben Askren. Is Ben Askren the worst striker in the UFC? If not, in the comment section, who is a worse pure striker? I mean, weight classes are weight classes, but if it was a pure striking battle, does Ben Askren light anybody up at his weight class? At any weight class? So let me know who was the worst. And you know what? Darren Wynn let me down hard last week for as good as the card was. I knew he'd go as wrestling. I just didn't realize once he physically got. I didn't think I. I couldn't hold him down. I overestimated his. I overestimated his gas tank. I guess. Yeah, and but when the fight was slowed down, and I did, uh, I thought maybe he edged it out. Like when it went to scorecards, I'm like, we may have this. He got the six takedowns, but I'm like, I did not feel great about it. Like I knew, I knew that it's in the way that they score fights these days. 
that is a very, very, like, it's a coin flip at that point when we go to the scorecards. You know what it came down to me? It came down to the thing we talked about on the show, but the fact that it was in Boston. Like, did he win the fight? No, Darren Stewart won the fight. Did he win the MMA match, the wrestling match, the grappling contest? I, I, thought, I, thought, he, yeah. I thought he maybe did enough maybe. to win a 29-28 in Vegas or in Cali or anything like that. But in Boston, the crowd wanted to see a fight. Stewart heard him. Stewart won the fight. This is Japan. Stewart wins as well. So that's what, what I'm talking about there, though, is like when the fight was standing, fucker couldn't strike. No. It, there was a time where Jake Shields might have been a worse striker than than old Ben Askren. But I don't know. He held his own against George in mostly a striking contest, and he's cut now. So anyways, in the comments section, who is the worst straight-up striker in the UFC if it's not Ben Askren? And if it is Ben Askren, let me know. The answer is probably Ryan <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> Ryan McDonald, <laughs> fuck. Right? That's definitely That's, a good answer. I, I should probably win 20 DK bucks. I need it after last week's performance. Anyway, let's get a better performance going, at least for me. You did great last week. Um, we got uh, Ben Askren taking on Damian Maya in the main event. Ben Askren is 8,500. Minus 185 favorite. Damian Maya, 7,700 and plus 160. We obviously already alluded to it right there. It's just like, neither one of these guys is really a great striker at all. So... I just my my big thing here is like what what are we gonna see when these guys get in there? Is Ben Askren gonna a la a la Col- Colby Covington be able to take him down and just stay out of trouble, stay in guard, just don't get you know tangled up? But that's you're just always running risks. And Ben Colby Askren had to does, put in some work before that. Ben Askren too. does not like to get himself into too many risks usually until he charges forward and eats a flying knee. But hey, that's neither here nor there. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or it's good. It could turn into like the sloppiest stand-up striking match I've ever seen in my life. So I don't know. Maybe you have a better read on this. Like I'm actually considering Maya, but you know, based on what happened last week. But let let's see what you have to say first on this one. To be honest. Well, I mean, obviously, it's just one of the strangest matchups you've seen in recent memory because you've got a 41-year-old straight-up specialist. Like, why is Damian Maia still effective in the UFC in 2019 at the age of 41? Because he's a straight-up specialist and that his grappling is so far leaps and bounds better than most of the division that at least he can get the fight into his wheelhouse with his grappling. But he's not likely going to be able to use his grappling here. As for Askren, he doesn't got a whole lot. He's 30 fucking five years old as well here. He's no spring chicken. And he's got really seemingly no other skill set other than his wrestling which it's leaps and bounds better than the majority of the rest of the division, so he gets by on it. But now you got a matchup where both guys... Yeah, their skill sets offset each other. Yeah, they offset each other. So now if you do get a striking battle, you're not only just getting a striking battle between two guys that are not really known for striking. It's a 35-year-old and a 41-year-old for 25 minutes in a striking battle. And that's just pretty crazy. Askren, at least he's got a willingness to come forward. He'll pop out his jab, but it's all just like trying to close distance. That's how it's always been throughout his career. His ground and pound, not known as big ground and pound, but again, he's got some volume and if you don't defend yourself, he'll keep going. Does he finish Damian Maya? I do not think so. If Damian wins this fight, does he knock out Ben Askren? No. But could he submit Ben Askren? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ben Askren's a world-class wrestler. His grappling is really good. But you go back and you look at, and I know they're just fucking around, but just go back and look at a video of Ben Askren versus Marcelo Garcia. It's just a straight-up grappling match. But you get a real indication here where it's like, Askren's a wrestler. He's not a grappler. If you you can take his back, you can armbar him. You mm-hmm. can catch him in a guillotine. You have all these different things at your at your disposal. But you got to get him down. This is a grappling match that starts on the ground. You think Marcelo Garcia would ever take down Ben Askren if they stood if they were standing? No. Mm-hmm. And I think Damian Maya is going to have the same problem. Here's another interesting thing with Damian Maya. These are his losses in the UFC, right? Nate Marquardt didn't take him down. Mark Munoz didn't take him down. Uh, Jake Shields he got him down once. The Rory fight, he got him down. But then Woodley, Maya, and Usman, right? All of his wins, Anthony Martin took him down. Lyman Good took him down. Masvidal, Condit, Brown, Nelson, Magny, LaFleur, Yakovlev, Fitch, Story, Dunyan Kim. Uh, every single win he's had in the UFC, he's scored a takedown in order to secure the victory. Mm-hmm. If he's not Because he needs to get top position. Because that's his entire game. Yep. So right off the get-go, he's going to be in new, in new territory in that if he doesn't get a takedown, he's, he's up Shit's Creek. And listen, Darren Stewart actually took down wins. But then what's the damage on so the could, other- So could he take down Ben Askren? Yeah. Maybe. But I don't think he's going to take him down in the first 10, 15 no, but minutes. but does he need to? He may win this on the feet. So, right? now, so now we've discussed the fact that let's not even go to the grappling right away. Grappling advantage slightly. Oh, grappling advantage towards Maya. Wrestling advantage towards Askren. Let's take it off the table. 
yeah, Damian Maya's a better striker than Ben Askren, for sure. But Damian Maya, what I'm noticing, is 10 minutes into the fight, 15 minutes in the fight, that's all he can handle. He is now built for three-round fights specifically. He's built for three-round fights that he can win the first two rounds and then run away. And this has happened a lot of times, most notably his last time out against Rocco Martin, where it's a 10-8, he's running away. But do you remember the Ryan LaFleur fight, uh, the, Mike, the Matt Brown fight before he gets the submission? It's all fights where the later it goes, he crumbles apart, and now he's just trying to avoid. He's and that's where he's... Fishing for legs on the ground. Yes. Pulling his best uh, and so, so, Ronnie Yaya impression. And so Colby Covington goes in the game plan of, I'll stand with this guy. And by the way, at the time, you know what everybody was saying? Holy shit, Damian Maya might have a striking advantage over Colby Covington. Colby cannot strike. And in the first round, he easily outstrikes Colby. But in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, when Colby just keeps coming forward, and then eventually Colby starts touching him up, then... Colby takes him down. Do you know why? Because Damian Maya, 15 minutes into the fight, tired, mm-hmm. is not Damian Maya. Five minutes into the fight, fresh. Especially when they start to get slippery. So, honestly, I think Damian Maya gives a good account of himself the first 10 minutes. I think slowly Astrid starts to bring it into his wheelhouse. And then eventually he gets the takedown. Eventually yeah. he uses the ground and pound. And then the last last but not least is like Ben Askren's actually a thing in Indonesia. He's actually a thing in Singapore. He was the one FC champion, but he also taught at Evolve MMA for a long time. They used to give this guy boatloads of cash. He wasn't allowed to leave Singapore with more than $9,000 cash on him. So he had to bring friends with him. They would all take $9,000. Like, He's going to get a little bit of favoritism, I think. So what could be a close fight that goes to decision? That's kind of how I'm seeing it. I think Askren does enough to nudge it out. The 185, I'm not interested in that. The de- mm-hmm. value is definitely on Damian Maya, plus 160. I think the value... He's, be- a, he's an underdog in a grappling match, but it, just, it might not be a grappling match. You know, that's, that's the thing. I think the value would be if this was a three-round fight. Damian Maia? Five rounds hurts... The three round, if it was like, if it was plus 160 and you're like, maybe he can grease out the first two rounds and then, you know, Askren's not really a potent finisher. If he does, it's like a submission. He's not going to submit Damian Maya. So like maybe he's just able, able to hold on for round three, right? Is that, that would be the idea. But you're right. When you brought up like five round narrative, narrative there, Maya would love to be on top position. He doesn't get tired in those positions when he's yeah, there. Yeah, you're right. But it's when he, he has to compete. strike, he has to maintain range. It's stressful for him that what, for whatever reason, he's a grappler. So using those striking, the muscles for striking the fast twitch and whatever that tires this guy out. I, yeah, I'm with you now. Um, Askren probably by decision. He'll, he may lose round one. Maybe you wait after you see round one before you take a plunge into this one. It could be a good live betting opportunity. Let's move on down the card. We have Michael, jo- uh, Michael Johnson taking on Stevie Ray. Michael Johnson, 9,300 minus 310 favorite. Stevie Ray, 6,900 plus 255. Michael Johnson is the second biggest favorite on the card. And I don't know how I could ever get to like trusting this guy at this price. What's your take here? Yeah, well, Michael Johnson coming back to 155 pounds has got me a little more intrigued because he's one of those guys that, like, I don't know why he dropped down in the first place. Um, He was a very successful contender at 155. He had lost to Khabib. He had knocked out Dustin Poirier. But, again, this guy was a fringe contender at 155 pounds. But, again, when you are a fringe contender and you realize, shit, I just got smoked out by Khabib, there's limitations here. And you decide I'm just going to j- jump down a weight class and go down. That's that's not the answer. I, I I'm not in favor of that. And I think he was one of those guys that is a classic example of the weight class drop didn't help him. He's known for murderous power punching at 55. At 45, he lost a little bit of zip. Also, we always talk about his collegiate wrestling background, but it's like he's tired and he's having bad weight mm-hmm. cuts. He botched his weight cut against Feely. He missed weight against against Lobov, and then his last time out against. Sorry, I think he yes. Yeah, and then he makes 146 against Emmett. Uh, he missed weight against Artem Lobov. So it's just like 45 probably wasn't agreeing with him. 155 pounds, he should be better off. But there's no doubt that he's long in the tooth, man. And there's no doubt at 33 years old, the wars that he's had in the gym with the Black Zillions, the wars that he's had just in his career You've in general. have seen the video of them. Like him and Jason, like guys oh go at it hard at that. Nikki Holtzkin. Nikki Holtzkin They're knocking comes dudes in out and like posting it to YouTube and like everyone's like, ooh, that's kind of fucked up. Oh, dude, he does the chicken dance and the video cuts out. It's like, well, what happened after he did that? Did he get hit again? Because if he did, he went out. If they stopped it altogether, then... Maybe he just only walked away from that sparring session with a minor concussion. But all the same, it's like I didn't really understand how he was going so hard. And then I think dropping down in a weight class, that hurts. So now he's at 145. Guy's got a great chin, by the way. He's at 145. He's winning two rounds to nothing against Josh Emmett. He actually looks pretty decent against Josh Emmett. And he got 
he got bombed on, man. He got bombed on hard. So yeah, there's questions about where his chin's at. There's question about where his head's at coming back up to 55. There's questions that if this division even left him to begin with, like he was a fringe contender when he left. You think this guy's a fringe contender now? No fucking chance. He's yeah. a journeyman now, right? He's a journeyman that's here to give us some fun fights. Mm -hmm. Why this is the co-main event, I, I couldn't tell you. Both guys are coming off losses. And both guys are actually really kind of, of these guys kind of on the verge of getting Singapore cut. somehow and we just don't, I don't know, know about They're him? both like, on the verge of getting cut realistically. Like neither guy has really given a great account of themselves recently and neither guy is really in any type of contention. Yeah. But this is what you've got. So now how does Stevie Ray match up in this particular spot? He's actually probably a better grappler. Unfortunately, similar to the first fight, he doesn't get the wrestling to take Michael Johnson down. And I know we we're talking about Michael Johnson's a wrestler and he's getting taken down. But like, yeah, he's getting taken down against Darren Elkins. He's getting taken down against Andre Feely. He's getting taken down against guys that know how to wrestle. But I don't think Stevie Ray is going to be able to get him down. Stevie Ray is a decent striker. However, at the same time, he just doesn't throw enough punches. Michael Johnson, when he's at his best... He's a volume puncher. He's a guy that can just stack Styling it up. Styling on Mar uh, Barboza. Yeah, and then it's a crazy, when you look at his wins, it's nuts. It's like Styles on Barboza for 15 and then plows out Justin Poirier like it's nothing. His fight with uh, Justin Gaethje, I mean, he stung the guy, right? His fight with Khabib, you're very adamant that Khabib was not stung, but the very le best argument that you can make there is at least he hit Khabib with a punch, right? A good punch. Michael Johnson at his best is good. It's just I think we are clearly on the same wavelength here. That he's probably not at his best anymore. But I think the matchup with Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray's not going to throw enough punches with him standing to really fluster him. He should, this should be his time to shine. He should mm -hmm. give a better account of himself. But that's all should, should, should. And 310 is, 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 is. You know, he's going to look good. Yeah. He's going to blast You got to feel Ray. good to lock that in. Yeah. And Stevie Ray got just coming off a knockout loss to Leo Santos. And a couple fights prior to that, Felder just pounds him out on the ground. Like, as far as DraftKings goes, yeah, Michael Johnson for $9,300 could knock out Stevie Ray and score very well for you. But the 310 on, on the money line is just a very bad, bad price. So uh, if, if you've got money left up over and, you know, you're looking at one of those bigger plays, yeah, Johnson is the second biggest favorite on the card. But as far as DraftKings goes, like at least he has a historical upside. And back at 55 is where his power has been traditionally at its best. So at least he's got that going for him. But the pickle here will be Johnson. Money line will be a pass. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you there. So let's move on. We've got... Benil Darius taking on Frank Camacho. Benil Darius, 8,400, a minus 160 favorite. Uh, Frank Camacho is 7,800 and plus 140. Um, so here's how this one kind of plays out in my mind, at least. Benil Darius is more skilled basically at everything. He's got that really good body kick. He's got that, you know, the typical uh, King's MMA kind of kickboxing. Um Everything's super, super tight, technical, everything like that. Uh, his, he's a very, very well-known grappler and very, very, uh, he's very, very well respected in the grappling realm. That's all well too. He has all the, all, all of his skills are at what, well, if you were do making a video game, all of his skills are way higher, except for that one big one. And that's durability. And that's where Frank Camacho shines in the absolute war, the, in the trenches. And his grappling, correct me if I'm wrong. I, he's a black belt. It, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a black belt. Yeah, 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 so right. I think, but you know, there's levels to it. But Neil Darius, maybe he takes him down and we're just like, oh, there's a black belt and there's a black belt. Like yeah. certain guys, you know, just a much higher degree. But um, I can't, if this becomes a three-round war, I just don't trust Benil Darius to last. So Camacho is a high-paced, high-volume kind of fighter that I'm interested in drafting. Uh, rostering on DraftKings at 7,800 and I'm interested in haven't made any bets yet but uh interested in playing him at plus 140 as well we'll beat you yeah if you're looking for dogs with a chance Camacho's got a chance if you're looking for punt plays on DraftKings Camacho's got a chance I mean I completely understand where you're coming from Benil Darius is better everywhere he is a better striker he's more technical the power I'm going to give to Camacho but as far as a straight up striking battle uh, he, he is the more technical striker. His wrestling, way better than Camacho's. His grappling, they're both black belts, but he's a better black belt than Frank Camacho. He's better all over. His cardio, better. His ring IQ, leaps and bounds better. But yeah, dude, it's that durability. He's had durability issues his entire career. Uh, uh, this is funny enough, but looking at his UFC debut, or sorry, it's not his debut, the very first episode of Bookie Beatdown, the very first show we ever did, and they went to Abu Dhabi. That's the first dog we ever hit. Him versus Ranzi Nijim. 
he couldn't take a punch. Ninjam went through and blasted him. I looked at it today. He was a minus 260 favorite over Ranzi Ninjam. Mm-hmm. He got caught. He got knocked the hell out. He went on a great run after that. And the Barbosa fight, oh, it's a flying knee, it happens. But it, it's what happens after that flying knee. Because that's one of the dirtiest KOs you'll ever see. Like, that was a life-changing KO. Mm-hmm. And this is a very smart man. This is a very guy, he he analyzes the fights as they're going down. You give him an interview afterwards, it's not like a, I'd have to look back. It's just like, this is exactly how it played out, Joe. He's very in tune with what's, he's in tune with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Him getting knocked out certainly was a reflective moment for him. His next fight against Evan Dunham, he's up two rounds. He falls right apart in the third round, durability issues, got steamed. He took a lot of damage in that fight, notably a lot of damage. His next fight against Alexander Hernandez, he's a minus 400 favorite. He got forearm chopped right 47 seconds or something and got knocked out. So now the best of Benil Dariush is gone. That Drew Dober fight, his last fight, the first round, he, he got stung two or three times in the first round. He got dropped in the second round and he pulls it together. I think we can definitely agree that he has durability issues. If Camacho makes this a brawl with him, he could catch him. He could hurt him. He could bang him up. But what I'm going to give him, and it's why I'm going to take him at 160 in the 8400, is that he's got phenomenal ring IQ. Frank Camacho does not. Frank Camacho welcomes a brawl, right? Just like you're saying. He wants to throw them hammers. He wants to get in your face. But what Darius showed against Dober is that he, he can still take the punches. He can get stung and he can come back. But in that second round, he goes to double leg takedown. He gets Dober down. He erects Dober on the ground. And Dober, he goes for an arm bar. Dober explodes and gets back up. Mm-hmm. And he hits him with a single leg right away. In yep. the first round, he couldn't get him. But in the second round, he made his adjustments. He is a smart guy. He's going to have probably some trouble in the early goings here with Camacho because Camacho's a banger. But Camacho will start to fatigue. This guy is going to have a great game plan. I think he's going to put it together. He could submit Camacho later in the fight. At the very least, I think he could get to mount and just ground and pound him, positionally outclass him. The 8,400 on DraftKings, I think that there's room for he could score over 8,400. The minus 160, it's a good price tag considering people are off the Benil Darius bandwagon. Oh, well, as, as from my opener. People are off the bandwagon. <laughs> People are I, off the bandwagon. I, I, I completely agree. But uh, with Camacho, he's a fun, exciting fighter. You give him fights because he's going to put on a fight of the night performance. He might win. He might lose. It might be a sloppy fight. But he's going to have problems. But remember when he fought Damian Brown? In the first round, Damian Brown took him down twice and easily won the round. In the second and third round, Damian Brown got into a brawl with him and ended up losing the fight by split decision. I feel like if this that fight is gonna gonna recreate itself here. But Neil Darius should probably use his wrestling, take him down in the first round. Only in the second and third round where Damian Brown was like, fuck it, let's go for a fight of the night banger in my hometown. I don't think that's gonna happen here. I think Darius will just stick to the game plan and keep taking him down. So this could be one of the ones that my guy gets knocked out in the first round. I think shit, I saw that coming and I went against it. But I, I'm gonna I'm he gonna give be, him the benefit of the doubt. He could get safted like uh, Raphael Fiziev. <laughs> yeah, who might get it again here? I mean, that's brutal. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you've been, I, I, you've been I, hot I, recently. I'm I'm gonna stick with Darius, and I fully do see the warning. Camacho's just such a high high scorer. Typically, when he wins on DraftKings, he scores pretty big. His wins in the UFC are Nick Hine and Damian Brown. Brown got cut, and I think just recently retired after his loss in Japan. And Nick, Nick Hine, Hine retired always, right away. He retired right he after. Was the fight. Or, or always kind of like half in, half out. Well, yeah, and he had never been knocked out before, and he showed up in bad shape, got knocked out, and was like, you know what, this is not for me. His his losses are Jingling Lee, Drew Dober, and Jeff Neal, all all guys that are not even fringe contenders are like mid-packers this is the toughest guy he's fought in the ufc i would say yeah fair enough whereas benil dariush i think there's a very strong argument this is the worst guy he's fought in the ufc in quite some time not ever but in quite some time so i'm gonna try to just think to myself there are levels to this and benil's just gotta not get hit with one of them which is easier said than done in mma but let's do it buddy you may have talked me off another wideman there cody <laughs> Who knows? Or he's the or he's the DK or I'm, punt or I'm gonna week. blame you when right. we come back or he's next the week. I'm like, play of the week. I was gonna bet I was gonna bet Camacho and you screwed me out of all of this. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> um, let's move on though. We've got uh, Cyril Gagne taking on Dante Dante Males. <coughs> really hard to say. Um, Gagne is. 9,200 minus 360 favorites. Mine is like 300 last night, and then it got steamed, and rightfully so. I'm sure you're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, and Dante Mills is 7,000 plus 300. Who do you have here, Cody? Yeah, I, I, I could see Dante Obviously, Mills. Obviously, you probably have Gane, but is the price too steep? Yeah, it's a pretty steep price considering um, 
I mean, listen, they're heavyweights. And in Gagne's case, we are sold on him. We think that he could be that next big thing, but he's 4-0. Like, he's still got some work to do. Did he Did he get that first-round submission for his last time out? Yeah, yeah, he did. But did he look phenomenal in that fight? No, he's still, still a work in progress. The big concern, I think, is that if the fight was to get out of the first round, we've seen him outside of the first round one time against Dixka and TKO, but you just never know. Whereas, at least with Mays, uh, he's got more experience. He's been around a little bit longer. He's fought uh, not on the UFC, but he's fought contender series t- three times, I believe. He's got a little bit of experience. He's got more professional fights, not in Muay Thai, but in MMA. Maybe he could pose some problems. Price tag at three hundred, good price tag. Price tag at three sixty, starting to get away from you. Yeah. But as far as the ninety two hundred dollars goes, like yeah, this is heavyweight fighting, and Mazes doesn't have a great track record of durability either. I mean. His first fight, I think, on Contender Series, he got finished by Alan Crowder by virtue of Crowder just lasted more than the first round and then was able to get on top of him and take him out. I, I think what we saw with Gagne is that, uh, you know, the biggest takeaway I had of that last fight is that he's a Muay Thai stylist. He's supposed to be like Francis Ngannou. Doesn't have the same power, but he's a great striker, a very mobile, athletic heavyweight. To see him look so fluid on the ground and get the submission, it's just like, hey. Oh, there's more wrinkles <laughs> to this game. Like, this guy's got more shit in dude, his Dude, this guy looks like the real dude. Deal. I think so. Um, but it's heavyweight, so. so, you know, males could just throw a, a massive bungalow and knock him out. And, you know, I guess he, uh, uh, heavyweight with power is always, you know, is always live in terms of like a DraftKings absolute pure punt play. But, yeah, I think I think Gagne rolls here. I think this is the, the first special heavyweight that we've had since Nganu came in. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think that he's going to get the win. I think 9200 is a good price tag. I think 360 is where it starts to borderline risky. Yeah. But the but the one thing I will say with Mays is that he does have variables. He is six foot six. He has an 81 and a half inch reach, mm-hmm. and he has a judo background. So maybe he's able to keep this fight standing long enough to make something happen. But also, since he lost his last fight, that fight to Alan Crowder, he beat uh, Kamaru Usman's brother, Muhammad Usman. That's a big win for him. And then he won two more fights on the Contender Series. Last one was actually a decent little knockout. He's 4-0 since. He's only 27 years old. It looks like he's figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You know? He's starting to get going. He's a four-fight winning streak, 27, six foot six. Unfortunately, they have done him no favors yeah, here. Yeah, because, yeah, with... With Gagne just being four and zero, yeah. So it's Gagne, just like don't be fooled by that. This guy, he's like forty one. This guy, in yeah, he's got that, but he just he looks so much more refined than some guy. He doesn't look yeah. like Greg Hardy out there using a freaking inhaler. We'll talk about that at the end of sure, the show, yeah. and we'll get a couple other little quick pieces off. I think we're all on the same page. First here. round and finish, Ga- yeah. First round yeah. finish, Cyril Gagne. He's he's gonna be super chalk, and I think rightfully so. It's yeah. somebody that you probably just. You just play. Um, Michael Johnson will be the obvious pivot in this type of situation. But, like, I mean, and maybe maybe Michael Johnson outscores them. But it's hard. It feels like Gagne just absolutely steamrolls, and it's a lot safer. Um, not safer, but safer, um, you know, you can probably lock in those 100 points very easy with him. Maybe Johnson and Ray go three rounds, and it's a tepid striking affair, you know? Anyway, let's move on. We have Muslim Salikov taking on uh, Loriana Steropoli. Uh, Steropo- or sorry, uh, Salikov is eighty six hundred minus one seventy five favorite. Steropoli seventy six hundred and plus one fifty five. Um, two strikers. I I don't know anything about uh, Steropoli's ground game, and that's what you really need to exploit Salikov. Otherwise, the Sultan, the Sultan of sw- of spin, will uh, will. We'll put you to bed. So that's kind of where I'm leaning here early on in the week. What about you? Yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to take a shot on the dog here with uh, Loriana Steropoli. Could be a bad move, but Muslim Salikov, I, I mean, not, he's got that power. He's got that, you know, the big overhand. He's got the big hook. He can spin. He can catch you with something, but I, I'm not seeing enough beyond that. Um, you know, it comes from a San Shao and a Kung Fu base is a striker, fought a lot of cans before he came to the UFC. And then it's important to note, in his fights in the UFC, the Alex Garcia fight, sure, he exploits him with the ground game. But beyond that, he's kind of getting tired. His cardio is not great. He beats Ricky Rainey, he catches him. He beats Nordin Taleb, he catches him. Stereopoli is probably, he's not even really on the same level as Taleb in Ricky Rainey. Or at least at the very best argument, you could say he's not any 
leaps and bounds better than those guys. He's around the same level, and he is a striker, so probably comes out here and gets caught. But he's making improvements, man. He's doing the right things. He's he's trending in the right direction, and I think it's the punch volume. It's not even the punches landed. It's just he's got that Leonard Garcia effect where, like, it looks like shit's going on. I looked at both of his fights in the UFC, and, uh, yeah, 100%. They give him Hector Aldana his first fight, right? But he lands 97 strikes on Hector Aldana. He doesn't got big power. He doesn't put away Aldana, but it's just a lot of punch output. It's that fight with Tiago Alves. He actually gets outstruck by Tiago Alves, 58 to 54. Yet most people had him winning that fight 30-27 or 29-20 at the very least. So how come is it that he gets outstruck, but then at the same time wins all three rounds? So you look at the striking stats. In the first round, he only lands 23% of his strikes, 13 of 55. He threw 55 strikes versus 24 for Tiago Alves. In the second round, he threw 68 strikes. Only landed 19. He threw 68. The third round, Paul, he now throws 79 strikes. First round, 55. Second round, 68. Third round, 79. He's 26 years old. He's training at shoot to box with Charles Oliveira. He does not slow down. He just keeps coming. We didn't think he was nobody when he took that fight against Aldana. In fact, he's, a, he's, he's like near even money against Hector Aldana, the worst fighter in the UFC. But he wins. He, he looks okay. Now he fights Thiago Alves. He went to Brazil to fight Thiago Alves. He's fighting him in his own backyard. He puts it on him. He's getting better. This king of kung fu, he's 35 years old. He's got one punch power, but I don't think he's got anything that's going to go two, three rounds. And that's where I think he's going to get in trouble here. I think once this fight does go two, three rounds, assuming he doesn't catch him early, which Stereopoli's got one career loss, it's by knockout, so he could catch him early. But still, he was like 22 at the time, right? I have to feel that he's making improvements and I have to feel that after a bad first round, he could do enough to win second and third. So again, I pick a lot of uh, favorites recently and a lot of the favorites have been winning. And this is another card where if I am going to take Askren, he's the favorite. Michael Johnson's, that's he's 310, right? He's the favorite. I did go with Dariush. I'm going with Gagne. Muslim Salikov, 175. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. No, so this is either idea. a straight up pass, I'm not touching it, or I'm dogger passing. And because I feel like this week, let's bring some balls back to the game. I'll just take the dog. Fuck it. So, Liron Nato. Sorry. I got to get this. Loriano. Loriano Staropoli. Loriano Staropoli. Argentinian. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm going to have to make him my dog play. He's got to be the best Argentinian MMA fighter of all time because I can't even think of another. Santiago Ponzinibbio. Yeah. Isn't he like half of half and half? I think he's... Born in Argentina, Tinia or Argentina, and okay. then and then lives in Brazil, trains in Brazil. This kid's the same thing. He lives and trains in Brazil. Yeah, he, he's just from Argentina. They put him on the Argentinian card. He looks okay. I, I read into a bunch of stuff on him, and he's got. If you go on his like social media, <laughs> see him working mitts a lot. Like he's he's work. He's getting better. He's improving. And my one thing where I'm saying about Solikov is that at 35, he's just got that one shot. He's just got that that dynamic flair. And if it doesn't work out for him. He's, gonna, he's there to get outworked. I'd love if the kid did take him down, but because I don't have any faith in him to actually do that, I'll need him to just flat out outwork this guy and hope for a close decision win. All right. Yeah, so Ponzinibbio would obviously be the best Argentinian. Anyway, we got uh, Ronda Marcos taking on Ashley Yoder. Ronda Marcos, 8,300 minus 155 favorite. Ashley Yoder, 7,900 plus 135. Two medium... Two people who rely on their grappling, not exactly great strikers. Like, I don't have very much interest in this fight. If Ronda Marcos has an advantage in the grappling department, she has the ability to steamroll people. We have seen that in the past. I don't think she has that advantage here, so it's probably a stay away from me. Um, I Honestly, I really, this is, I don't care enough about this fight to, to really get too deep into it. Do you have like a hot take here or can we move on? Yeah, I would pass uh, as far as DraftKings go because I, I just don't think either woman's going to score up to what they're currently being priced at. But the minus 155 on Marcos is very intriguing. Uh, yeah, they're both grapplers, like you said. Similar to the main event, Yoder might be a bit of a better grappler, but Marcos is a better wrestler. <laughs> the difference is, is that Yoder doesn't have any striking and Marcos has got some decent striking. She spent a lot of time on it. She's got an okay right hand. She's got some power in it, especially for the division. And whereas I don't think she's an elite level striker, she maybe look like one here if this fight with Ashley Yoder just stays standing the whole time. Um, I think she stuffs the takedowns. I think she beats her in the striking exchanges. I think she wins the fight. And here's a dirty little, it's not a greasy theory because it's actually, it's Paul's theory. Paul's theories are never that greasy. But uh, you, the, you haven't done this in a long time. She lost to Jessica Panay. 
She beat Ashlyn Daly. She lost to Carolina Kovalkiewicz. She beat Jocelyn Jones-Leibarger. She lost to Courtney Casey. She beat Carla Esparza. She lost to Alexa Grasso. She beat Juliana Lima. She lost to Nina Ansarov. She beat Angela Hill. She lost to Claudia Gadelia. Motherfucker, she rotates all the time. She's never lost two in a row. No. And this is her time to get back in that win column. She's she the Anthony Anjiquani of... Uh... <laughs> Brother, it's just... Or was, no, it was Vince <laughs> It was Anthony Njiquani yeah, against Vince Yeah, Pichel. yeah, that's how you first come up with it. Yeah. Shell's been your boy ever since. Njiquani just, yeah, always. It's a win-loss, win-loss, win, loss, back win and forth. Loss. She's she's and never lost. Night, she's never lost two straight. This is how she fights her career. This is a favorable matchup for her. her losses. By the way, are Claudia Gadelia, Nina Ansarov, Alexa Grasso on a split, Carolina. Like they're all title yeah. contenders, former title contenders. So like, one fifty-five maybe value is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I think money line's value. I think DraftKings you want no part of it, but I think that's a decent little money line play, yeah. and you can make it better by taking the decision prop, right? Mm-hmm. All right, we got the uh, yeah boy. Maybe not your boy anymore. Raphael Fiziev, he's 8,900, minus 200 favor. He's taking on Alex White, who's 7,300 plus 170. Take it away, Cody. Yeah, Fiziev was touted as an awesome striker. I believed he was an awesome striker, and he ate a Magomed Mustafaev spinning heel kick to the face. And even though he got his arms up, that was all she wrote. Uh, yeah, listen, was that a freak move that happens? Like, yeah, I mean, Mustafa is capable of doing it, but I didn't see it coming. I thought he would outstrike this guy. Maybe get taken down a few times, but ultimately make him work and, and could have been a decent dog play because he was the underdog against Mustafaev. And maybe I got caught dog chasing. Now we got him as the favorite and he's a two to one favorite. So I don't got that same level of faith in him. Does he eat up Alex White all day in a striking match? Absolutely. And I think that's what's going to happen here. But Alex White's gritty, man. Remember, uh, what was that? He, there's like an MMA junkie story on him for his, before his UFC debut that he like drank gasoline as a kid. Mm-hmm. And like that's why he's got a lisp because he had like speech impediment, yep. vocal cord burn. Uh, it's like, dude, that guy's a survivor. He's a grinder. His whole career, he just, he goes, he goes for it. Is he a great striker? No. Is he a great wrestler? No. He's got decent size for the weight class and he pushes a pace. That's, that's what he's got. Those are not the, the best skills to lean back on. But in a matchup with a guy who's kind of maybe a one-dimensional striker, with those odds, could, yeah, could he make this a grinding affair? Could he get him up against the cage? Could he peel him to the ground? A- absolutely. Do I expect him to get caught and knocked down in the first round? Not fully, but the chance is there. So that that's my worries. If you play white, if you chase that 7,300 on DraftKings, you're hoping for a, a, a dirty decision, probably a hold him down and win two of the three rounds decision. It's, it's not going to score a whole lot, even though he's only $7,300. And the flip side to that is if he does lose, he's not going to score you anything. He's going to get caught. Mm-hmm. Now, Fizayev, really important to note here that when you talk about this guy's striking and his credentials, you can look all about all the numbers and his wins and his losses, his KO wins, the titles that he's won, all that. But remember um, Mike Davis, right? A couple weeks ago, Mike Davis takes the fight on short notice, damn near kills a guy in the octagon. And we talked about, I said, this guy's going to be ready because he's at those Tiger Muay Thai tryouts and he looked good. You can watch the episodes online and he looks like he's leaps and above the other guys trying out. Fazayev is the coach, you know, like he's the one teaching these guys these skills. Like he's well respected in Thailand for his striking acumen. The striking's there. But also being at Tiger Muay Thai is that he's got all the surroundings to hopefully work on his ground game. I mean, he's full time there. All he does is train. They've got bodies coming in day and all the time because, I mean, it's a destination camp. And uh, I know George Hickman and them have spent a lot of time working on his wrestling specifically. So if his wrestling's good enough just to keep the fight standing with White long enough to catch him, then Fizayev's a good play on DraftKings, uh, $8,900, because he could get you that first or second round finish. But gut instinct kicks in. I got a bad feeling. I would pass as far as the DraftKings goes. And the minus 200 is just too much. Give me 160, 165, 170. Could be talked into it. But mm-hmm. at this point, it's just not, it's not worth it. It's early in the week. These lines move a lot. As the week goes on, so White's yeah, also been off. For you don't a while. have to bet it now at minus two hundred. Like if you feel you lean that way, you watch weigh-ins, you you know you get the sense of the week. There's always interviews and other different things that pop up. So yeah, I don't unless you're getting those early early lines that people are betting. Um, you know you can you can afford to wait a lot of the times. You don't have to lock in these plays so early. Some people are locking them in at shittier lines than they would have got if they just waited more and got more information. Yeah, and waiting for the Waynes is actually important here because yeah, because I thought it wasn't last week with Duran win. And again, like I always talk about how I really like watching the Waynes. I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm gonna. I know that Duran win's gonna be way shorter, way smaller. Like, what am I gonna learn from that? You're gonna learn that the guy misses weight by three pounds. So it's like, leans you yeah, believe like, does he have an injury? Sure. Um, something. No, that helped. 
That helps seeing that because it was like, yeah. ooh. Well, I, no, I, had I already, really liked him, I had already I don't bet like it. I, I, I went against, yeah. Oh, dumb. you went against your own thing. Yeah, so then I ended up by, I thought the line was going to go the other way, and then he missed weight. Yeah. And then I would have got a better line on my losing wager if I had just waited, like I usually do. I went, and, yeah, and it was just bad, bad move by me. Fazayev is flying from Thailand to Singapore. It's a nothing flight whatsoever, whereas Alex White's coming from the Midwest. And at six foot, does struggle enough to make 55. So, yeah, definitely, definitely keep your eye on the way in. We got uh, Mavsar Evloev taking on Enrique Barzola. Evloev, 8,700 and a minus 175 favorite. Barzola is 7,500 plus 155. This is a very interesting matchup. Because you would probably think that, like, Evloev has the advantage in technical grappling but like barzola is super super like strong physically strong for 145 pounds evlev is has fought at 135 before so like the size is gonna really matter in this well but like it could just end up on the feet on the feet i'm not sure who has the advantage um I, I, I think I told myself last fight that I wouldn't play Barzola anymore on DraftKings. And I don't think I want to play him on DraftKings here just because he has to have a perceived grappling advantage over his opponent. I don't think he has that here. Um, do you have a hard stand on on this fight? Do you have a, a guy that you're you're locking in? No, no. I think Mavzar Vlov is my pick. I think uh, th- this is the first time in, since Barzola's debut. I don't know why the hell I picked against him in his debut. He fought Horatio Gutierrez. It was the tough finale. The fuck was I thinking there? But since then, I've been all over this guy because he's like his tenacity. And it's not that his wrestling's any good. It's just his strength, man. He just keeps on you. He's so goddamn strong, and he's relentless. He just plows you to the ground. That only works against limited opposition, right? Gabriel Benitez, Matt Bissett, Brendan Davis. You can toss those guys around. But when it doesn't work, his striking is god-awful. And and here's the other problem, Paul. You know why you and I have kind of grown to have a soft spot for Barzola? Because he, at his best, he's a DraftKings machine. Mm-hmm. You know why he's a DraftKings machine? Because he scores 9 or 10 takedowns. You know why he, he scores done nine, that in a long time now, though. And, and, and you know why he scores 9 or 10 takedowns? Well, yeah, but also because he has no ability to hold the guy down once he does take him down. Yeah. He takes them down, they just quite simply stand right back up. Yep. Yeah, he takes them right back down, they stand right back up. Yeah, he takes them right back down, and then maybe he can win the fight based on that. But his last two fights, Kevin Aguilar and Bobby Moffat, now he's taking on guys that don't fit that description of scrubs. Now he's taking on guys that do know how to wrestle, and now he's struggling. So now he has to fall back on his on his striking. And it's herky-jerky, man. It's just not there. There's not enough of it. It's not clean. He's got a little bit of power, but he's not even turning his hips into it. It's mostly like arm punches, arm kicks. So even though he's throwing heavy into it, it's just not enough to KO anybody, I don't believe. And uh, the wrestling, he's struggling against these guys that are now on increasing level. Mavzlar Ivloev, he's a better wrestler. Mm -hmm. He's a better grappler. And whereas we've now discussed the fact now in two fights, you've got the main event with Ben Askren and Damian Maya, where if wrestling negates each other, you've got a shit striking match. Who knows how it's going to go? We've got uh, Marcos versus Yoder. The r- grappling negates itself. You might have a shit striking match. I think mm-hmm. that one favors Marcos. This could be the exact same thing. I think the grappling it, it agree, nullifies yeah. itself. Barbosa's not going to take down Yvloev. And if he does, he's going to get the Russian will get right back up. Yvloev, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to take down Barbosa. If he does take Especially him down. Especially because he just gives up so much strength, I think. Yeah, but, but if he does take him down, he's going to ride him. And yeah. so there, there's the advantage from there. And then if it stays striking, he's a better striker than him as well. So mm-hmm. I feel like he's got two paths to victory, but both of those paths lead him to a decision victory. So for 8,700 on DraftKings, I don't want it. But for the minus 175 on, on money line, like I'm tempted there. Mm-hmm. And I'm tempted to try to get a better value on it by, again, hitting it by decision. And that's another one that, like, maybe at the weigh-ins, you'll see the two of them next to each other, and people will just bet on the the bigger-looking fighter, and you you could get a better price later in the week. I'm not sure how that one will move. Anyway, let's move on to the heavyweight division. This one was good. This whole card was going to just be loaded. Greg Hardy was supposed to be on this, and then he was rescheduled to this, right? But uh, this is a good card. I don't understand the co-main event. Just I don't know. I just it's yeah. A but there's a bunch of like, but it's a good fight. There's a bunch of big boys on this, yeah, the and the next good. one is another one. You know, we've got Sergey Pavlovich taking on Maurice Green. Uh, Pavlovich is. 9,000 minus 235 favorite. Maurice Green, who's been the gift who keeps on giving. 
just being like un, uh, disrespected by the books every single fight and, yeah, and pulling fair. it off. He's 7,200 and plus 195. Like Pavlovich looks like super, super powerful, but like real herky jerky and stiff. And that uh, Maurice Green has been underrated by so many people so many times here. He's got a, he's super big, super tall <laughs> and long. Yeah. And that could pose some problems for Sergey. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't feel great about, betting Sergey in this spot. Like, I do see holes in this guy's game. It's whether I go to green. That's where the value is for me at this point in the week. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Good thing I'm not UFC matchmaker because if I was UFC matchmaker, Sergey Pavlovich would be taking on Cyril Gagne and I'd get me some Maze versus uh, Maurice Green. 6667, buddy. Mm. Sign me up for that. And Gagne, we'd have a real conversation on our hands. Like, is he, is he ready for this? Is he as good as we think we are? Like, mm-hmm. that'd be fun to talk about. But instead, you get this. But they shit. take the safe route. They take the safe route. Let's try to build up Gagne. Yeah. And for this, I mean, Pavlich, they paid big money to bring this guy over. They paid so much money to bring this guy over. They said, you're going to fight Alistair Overeem in your first fight because you're going to have to earn said paycheck. And he was getting some love from people, too. I'm not sure why. You know, just because he just he hasn't had the same level of experience and Overeem catches him. His next fight, he looked, I thought, infinitely better, but it, he finished it really fast. I'm worried that if his gas tank lets out, Maureen Screen gives him trouble. Mm-hmm. But this guy's a Greco-Roman wrestler. He has a wrestling base, and that's how he's going to beat Green. Green six seven doesn't have takedown defense. He's a good striker. He used to fight for Glory. Um, he is able to stay on the outside and pot shot you. But you got to take this guy down. Remember when he was on the Ultimate Fighter? Will he though? Well, because all on- we've really seen from him, at least in his UFC tenure, is just him just bombing, throwing. Throwing heavies, you know what I mean? Throwing heavies. Yeah, I agree. And maybe similar to Darren Wynn, I know there was a couple of people saying, well, why do you expect him to wrestle when he hasn't wrestled yet in his career? But it's just like, yeah, because he can strike with the guys that he's been striking at this point against. But mm-hmm. against Darren Stewart, he's got to be smart enough to know he can't. And here, it's not that he's got to be smart enough to know he can't strike with Maurice Green. He can strike with Maurice Green. Yeah. Only for a little bit. Only just do it for a minute or two at most. But then you got to get this guy to the ground. And where I think if Green was able to stuff a couple takedowns, tire out this big muscle-bound Russian, then all of a sudden Pavlovich might be thinking, shit, it's costing too much energy to take him down. Uh, I'm just going to stand with him. And then maybe there's a path from there. But going back to when he was on The Ultimate Fighter, remember he was smoking on the show and he's drinking he was a character of the show. But he fought to Juan Espino, who I'm not high on in the slightest bit, but has a little bit of grappling. Espino took him down and choked him out. His debut in the UFC against Michelle Batista Michelle Batista wrestled in the Olympics. He had a couple wins over Daniel Cormier in wrestling. The guy knew how to wrestle. He tosses him down like nothing, but he gets the triangle choke. And then Jeff Hughes and Albini, now the guy really... Uh, Hughes, that was the worst fight he could have put on. And uh, Albini, I mean, he catches him. Listen, everybody's off Albini. Let's let's get that much straight. But they're not exploiting that deficiency on the ground, whereas I think that's what Pavlovich would do. 235, it's a, it's a big price day for middling heavyweights, and that's exactly what we got here is mm-hmm. middling heavyweights. But I'm not sold on Maurice Green. Two-fight winning streak, that's all well, well and good. I'm not good, sold but like, on him by any means. Yeah, There's a yeah. reason why they're the eighth fight down or, or third fight in on, the, uh, on UFC Singapore. Exclusively on Fight Pass, there, bud. Yeah, or, or probably ESPN Plus too. I don't yeah, know. and 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 I think there's another thing to be said for for Pavlovich is that he was groomed by fighting good, well matched opponents in Russia. Comes over undefeated to the UFC. He's gone one and one since now he's in the UFC. But he's 27 years old, Paul. He's a he's a looks like a freak. Not I want to say a freak athlete because he does move kind of stiff. But I mean, he just he's built like a specimen. He's 27, getting better, and he has that wrestling base. Green's a 33-year-old smoking kickboxer. I, I can't in good conscience bet him. I really can't. So I, I would go Pavlovich. And because he, he could just steamroll and put it on him, maybe he gets that finish. Maybe he gets a submission. But maybe I'll change. I don't want him on DK. We'll There's better options. The better options are pay up for Michael Johnson or... Uh, who are we talking? You may about? be able to. You can probably get both in there, though. You just. I would take like, Johnson or Gagne. Like you'd have to like a big underdog, and it doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, well, if you took Steropoli, yeah, seventy six hundred. That's not a big underdog. Not enough. No. Yeah, let's let's yeah, let's move on. Uh, we got Loma Luke Boonmi. Sounds like an, a creative player. Um, taking on Alexandra Albu. Uh, Luke Boone, me. I don't, I'm gonna call her Loma. Uh, 8,200 and a minus 125 favorite. Albu is 8,000 and plus 105. What's your take here? 
Yeah, her name is uh, Loma Luke Boonmi. Real name is Conklax Hufsara. So it doesn't really matter what you call her. We'll go with Loma I, here. I, I've already <laughs> forgotten what her actual name is. Yeah, well, the thing with it, when you're in Thailand is you take on the gym that you're fighting for. Yeah. So, so this, she trains out of Luke Boonmi? Luke Boonmi Muay Thai. Only she's at Tiger Muay Thai. She's been at Tiger Muay Thai for the last couple of years, I believe. And that's where she does her training camps. So like... Technically, her name should be Loma Tiger Muay Thai. As ridiculous as that sounds, mm-hmm. there's fighters in Thailand that go by those names. It's Tiger Muay Thai, 100%. Anyways, um, yeah, there's a lot to like here, but there's also a lot where she's 3-1 and one and probably shouldn't be in the UFC at this current point. She's the first Thai fighter to uh, fight in the UFC. That That's something. I have reserves as to whether she'd be fighting in the UFC if the fight wasn't in Singapore or if this is just kind of one of those local things to draw some you know, some local attention. She's from uh, Isla in Thailand, which is like the poor region. A lot of great fighters come out of there, and apparently she's a pretty solid Thai fighter. She's not a world champion Thai fighter. So whereas there's, she has over 100 Muay Thai fights, apparently, it, it's not as if she was the best Muay Thai fighter available and then just decided, hey, I'm the Michael Jordan of Muay Thai. I'm coming over to MMA. It's just she's a good Muay Thai fighter who made the transition to MMA. Did she make the transition to MMA because she was no good at Muay Thai? Probably not, probably because of the money. But again, it's not something that you necessarily see a ton of. She's only 23 years old, but in Thailand, because you fight at such a young age, you accrued over 100 fights by the time you're 23 years old. So there's some questions there. The other thing is, is that I think it's easy to fall into, if you just read her credentials, that she's a great Muay Thai fighter. From everything I've looked at, she's a great clinch fighter. She's fucking awesome in the clinch in that she'll just absolutely pulverize you with knees and elbows. But at range, she throws a lot of just one strike at a time, blind kicks, her kicks get caught a lot, there's not a whole lot there, then she clinches up with you and bombs on you. That's a good style for Muay Thai because that's how a lot of Thai stars fight. fight. But in MMA, it's like it depends who you're trying to clinch up against because if you clinch up with somebody who's going to take you down, you're going to be in trouble. Albu's infinitely stronger than this girl. So what we have here is we got to fight against Loma versus Albu. <clears throat> Loma's a much better striker. She is. <clears throat> in the sense that she's had a lot more experience. you got a girl here with 100 plus Thai fights and three and one versus a girl who's just quite simply three and one, right? The, the experience definitely goes to Loma. The hometown, all that advantage, whatever, it's going to Loma. The, the clinch, it's going to Loma. But the strength is going to go towards Albu, and Albu's a karate black belt. So it's just a different striking style. When you look at any of Albu's stuff, dude, it doesn't look great. I'm sure you've looked at it. It doesn't look great. I I still have night terrors of rostering her against Emily Whitmire <clears throat> and just getting absolutely <clears throat> smashed. So it's going to be tough to get me to trust her ever again. Yeah, no, that's fair. Emily Whitmire is a wrestler with a grappling pedigree, and so she took Abu down and submitted her, whereas Loma doesn't have that wrestling nor that grappling pedigree, so it's a different fight altogether. But when Abu strikes, it's always coming forward. She fights Kaylee Curran, she just bullies her straight forward the whole time. I expect Loma to be a better opposition than Kaylee Curran. I expect Loma to give up a better fight than Kaylee Curran, but she's a natural 105-pound fighter. She's fought her entire career at weight. Now that Adam weight doesn't exist in the UFC, she's going up 10 pounds to take on a girl who could probably make Adam weight as well but is ridiculously strong strong at 115 to begin with so she's giving up that strength where it clinches her best thing she needs to be stronger than you in the clinch her best part of her game she's giving up so she does have striking advantages but honestly your best pass is to pass here the only reason i'm suggesting albu is because i need another dog so because i'm gonna take steropoli i'm gonna take albu and those will be my two dog plays because as we're because you're not gonna take you're not taking pessoa no no kind of you have jeff hughes taking on rafael pessoa Hughes, 8,800 minus 250 favorite. Pessoa is 7,400 and plus 210. Kind of two like mobile heavyweights who don't really have very much pop. And clearly you're taking Jeff Hughes in this spot. Yeah, I'm taking Jeff Hughes. And like where I like he's getting the quick turnaround, it was, it's not like he didn't take no damage against Todd Duffy. Like Todd Duffy teed off on him hard. <laughs> And then now he's back in there, like, what, six weeks later? Like, okay, that that I could do without. That was but, not, uh, like, the Todd Duffy, though. No, was that like, was Todd Duffy. That is what Todd Duffy does. I mean, Bombs on you and quits. What we thought Todd Duffy was going to look like after, like, four or five years. I guess we should have been ready to see that. I don't know. Breaking down that fight, I took Jeff Hughes because I thought Todd Duffy's going to come in here. He's going to bomb on. No, him. I know, I know. Hughes I know. can take a punch. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that his physique was. It looked like he had not taken his uh, 
his strength and conditioning nearly as seriously as he did, say, like, four or five years ago before, like, governing powers came into place. That's all I'm saying. I think it's because he had hair. You were throwing off. Mm. Mm. Let's let, we, we could do a side-by-side. We're not going to because I don't want to put anybody on pause. I'm Listen, just saying. he fought like classic Todd I'm Duffy. I'm just And he saying. dropped him, and he tried to put it on him the way Todd Duffy has done to many people, and Jeff Hughes survived. Jeff Hughes has durability. And it, so Rafael Pessoa, who's now going to rely on the same thing, I'm going to hope to catch this guy. Yeah, Hughes can take a punch, man. He's, again, he's a training partner with Stipe Miocic. He knows the routine. He knows what it's all about. He's a mobile heavyweight. He's a classic example, of, I think, of octagon jitters. Because, I mean, he's a former LFA champ. He had fought five rounds. He's a good gas tank. He's, he's a credible fighter. And he looked awful against Maureen's screen. A guy who he had previously already defeated. Looked awful. Did not look like himself. And then against Todd Duffy, you didn't fully get to see what he's capable of because Duffy wanted to weigh out and fake the eye poke. Uh, but Hughes would have given a good account of himself. And I think that he was way more comfortable in that fight. He was feeling himself, and the confidence is going. He, it's a moral victory for him because he knows Duffy quit. It's a moral victory for him. He's coming in here, and, and I think he's just going to keep on that same path. I think he gets the win over Pessoa. Pessoa, yeah, he'll, he'll throw the big strike standing. You know, He'll come at you. I, I've got questions about his gas tank and I've got questions about what his plan B is if he doesn't knock you out quick and I just don't think he catches Jeff Hughes quick so Jeff Hughes leans on him Jeff Hughes takes him down Jeff Hughes one thing though is for a heavyweight and we saw last week with Tanner Bozer just because you're 250 pounds doesn't mean you can actually hit very hard right yeah you're heavyweight some heavyweights don't got no pow pow Jeff Hughes kind of seems like one of those heavyweights with no pow pow he could finish Passoa but Pessoa is going to have to get tired and basically pack it in, kind of like Duffy was going to do. Mm-hmm. Or else Jeff Hughes would be one of those low-scoring heavyweights. Give me Jeff Hughes 8,400, 8,600. I might be able to go for him because he's going to be low ownership. Mm-hmm. When we talked about the high-priced guys here, Gagne, oh my God, he's going to be huge price. Michael Johnson, geez, he's probably going to be pretty high price. So you can benefit from taking a Pavlovich. Highly owned, you mean. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He's going to be highly owned. Uh, you can go for a Sergey Pavlovich or a Jeff Hughes on... They're going to be lesser owned and they're a little bit cheaper. But if they go out and they... I don't think Pavlovich will be a $9,000 heavyweight. He won't be low owned. I think people are looking to fade. I got a new segment we're going to do at the end of the show. We're going to do Pogi Rob's uh, parlay, but we're also going to do is who's the probable apple pie shitter of the week where we take a plus 200 or a a minus 200 and over and say who's the likely to shit in the pie. Because, again, I can pick a lot of favorites here, but I, I, I'm i seeing apple pie shitters straight up this oh, morning. Oh, dude, yeah. We're in, up and down. We're in, what time does this card even start in the morning? Oh, 5 a.m. Oh. Yeah. I, I, you know. I hope, that, I hope that's not main card. So Saturday, yeah. So Saturday morning, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I mean, this probably feels more like I wake up for... Eve Lova Brazola? I'll let you know how the other fights go, dog. No, but like, you know, I, I think it's on Fight Pass. Yeah. So if it's on Fight Pass, then I just wake up for like Evoev versus Barzola. And then in between any of the fights, I just kind of walk, catch up on the other fights. You know? Yeah. He- I, I don't see myself setting my alarm for 5 a.m. I'll, I'll I'll see you all at like eight eight a.m. That's that sounds about fair. And some of these these fight pass cards go really fast though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we could be already at like three hours into the card, we could be at like Gagne coming up type of thing. If there's lots of finishes, you you risk saying going- that though? Uh, you saying the sleep in, just watch the fights after the fact, just made me think of this for whatever reason. But I think Hughes versus Pessoa could be a, a decent live bet opportunity too. Mm. So give a. He's going to come out in the first round. He's pro- the problem with these early fights. Bet him after the yeah, first round. Yeah, but these round. early fights, a lot of the times you can't bet them live. Well, it depends on your book. Yeah, you're right. Depends who you're like pretty much all these books, like especially yeah. like yeah, the, yeah, the live streams, they don't let you until like main card or when things are actually on TV. Did you hear about this UFC? So if like if these first book? three fights are not on TV anywhere in the world, if they're only on streaming platforms, they won't be live betting opportunities for it. Yeah, because somebody in the arena is like, "Oh, he's getting fucked up." I'll yeah, just, I'll just. It's when like BT right Sport now. and Britain come in because then you actually have like sports books who yeah. have access to like a a world like a top end type of feed. You know what I mean? No, no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay, yeah. So to run it down for my boy Rob, uh, we're we're gonna take Ben Askren. Michael Johnson, Benil Dariush, Cyril Gagne, Loriano Steropoli, Ronda Marcos.
you know what? Lord hates a coward. I always say that. I'm going to take Alex White. But but your best bet is to just clear pass on this one, guys. Movzari Vloev, Sergei Pavlovich. I'm going to take Albu. That'll be three dogs. And then Jeff Hughes. The likely apple pie shitter is either Pavlovich at 235. Oh, over 200. Over 200. It's going to be him. Fizeev is 200, and I know I'm taking the dog on that one, so he could be the apple pie share. He, but he's not going to be in my pie. I'm trying to think who could I play that's going to screw me. I think, I think Pav- Pavlovich is the guy that yeah. I think is yeah. has the high yeah, probability that's, that's of it. apple pie he's, shitting. He's, he's the probable apple pie shitter of the week. Yeah. Um, Greg Hardy. Greg getting Hardy. a top 10 opponent now in Russia. Um, he's got to get some of the respect that he's lost. Uh, well, how much does people respect this guy in the first place? So as far as like me giving any respect to somebody like that, that's, this is a ballsy move, man. And he's the one that apparently wanted it. He's the one that suggested it. Like that's all, that's all well and good. Listen, he did not look good his last time out. We talked about the fact that I thought he looked more, I thought he looked like more refined. Like he looked more his patient, his footwork more looked patient. His he didn't cardio just charging better. forward and going crazy. Like you're totally it was right. a nice little growth yeah, in his right game, there. but then right. using the inhaler, man, like. Yeah, the other thing, but he's new to the sport, so it's like he was able to do if he was playing football. uh, Maybe that's where his mind went. Is that when he was playing? You're not cheating. You're not trying. It's like more. I'm. I'm not even all that mad at him. It's like Dean Thomas is literally in that corner. It's just like I'm sure Dean's like I've never done this before. Stop. Let's not do it. But whatever. We saw how the fight played out. He only got a no contest in it, but the UFC is judging that basically as a win. But they are throwing him. To the Wolves right now. In an yeah, well, if he just doesn't matchup. take the puffer, he's up two rounds anyways. I mean, yeah. I, it was a fight that he was cruising in. But but we discussed on the show, Sassoli had never been knocked out. So Hardy's usual bum rush game plan well, might not work. Jeez, I suggested pass on Greg Hardy because if Sassoli sticks around for a round or two, he might completely fall apart. And he, he, did, he didn't fall apart, right? His The team had a plan. Hey, dude, we know we've been telling you go bum rush Here's your puffer. and knock him out. <laughs> hey, who was the last person you saw do that? Little trivia, little old school trivia. I, I don't know. Remember that, like Houston, uh, Strike Force Houston, right? Houston Alexander. No, it was it was in Houston. It was Strike Force. Oh. <laughs> it was a Strike Force card in Houston and King Mo. Well, the whole card was using it, these oxygen things, right? And they're like, <laughs> and it was just like, holy shit, dude, what was that? It's just like, oh, condensed CO two. It's just like, or oxygen, basically. It's like. Why would you use that? It's like, oh, it opens up the airways. Can't do it. It's illegal. But listen, if he asks the commissioner, but I'll give you the, this is what irks me about it. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. And most people don't. But I'm going to benefit the doubt on this, whatever. But here's what fucking irks me, is when he says afterwards, up to this point, I'm, I'm on his side. It's when he says, hey, man, it just makes me breathe just like you. It's not an advantage. I, I just take it. I, now I can breathe. Just like a regular person. No, motherfucker, that's your handicap. You're fucking six foot six, 260 pounds. The Lord blessed you with many gifts, okay? You know what he didn't bless you with? Great lung capacity. That's your fucking handicap. Do you think I can just, oh, dude, this guy's got it, arms are six inches longer yeah. than mine. I should just have the same length of mine. Now we got the same. No, that's his yeah. advantage. That's your handicap. You can't breathe. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's on you. And if Michael Bisman couldn't see out of one eye, that was his handicap. And if and if this guy, uh, Frank Trigg, almost drowned as a kid, so now if, whenever you put a submission on him, he taps right away, that's his handicap. You guys got handicaps, yeah. okay? You we're, can't, we're like a couple. You can't do this shit. And all of a sudden, it's just like TRT, right? It's just like, oh, dude, Dan Henderson and Vitor Belfort, they're broken down. That's their handicap is they've been in all these wars. Once you gave them TRT, they had the body of a 26-year-old. With the, with the with the mind of a savvy veteran and the skills of a savvy veteran, it was cheating. When he used the puffer, whatever it did, it was cheating. And so in that regard, he cheated. And he's got a really bad history, dude. So if he steps up and fights Volkov, imagine he beats Volkov, which he, I don't see happening right now. But he's a heavyweight with I a massive amount of power. Yeah. I think it's like he's not, he's definitely live to win. He should be the underdog. I, it'll be interesting. I don't know if they've released a line on that. It'll be interesting when they do to see how it gets lined and what moves. Like, I think, yeah, he's totally live. It's like a heavyweight that's he's live doesn't have sure. crazy power. It's, what he does have is like good footwork and speed. But Who doesn't have crazy power? Um, Volkov isn't like oh, the most. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought you were talking about Hardy. I was no, like, no. that's pretty much all he's got. No, that's what I'm saying is that he yeah. doesn't exactly have crazy power or anything. He has, 
speed and athleticism, but it's like you're taking on a former NFL lineman who did look a little bit more flabby, but I think he's doing that for cardio. He's not carrying as much muscle. Yeah. He's yeah. he's around the right guys. He's in the for right sure. place. They called this, they cherry-picked this guy, or uh, Volkov. That's who they perceive to be the weakest, I guess, heavyweight in the top 10. Well, obviously, his the guys around him, his coaching staff, they must see something there. But here's a question I actually asked our little buddy A-Rap, right? I said, let's say you took a freak athlete uh, Tyreek Hill, right? He's cut from the NFL, which I'm sure they might be looking at anyways. But let's say this guy says, fuck it, I'm going to come to MMA. How long would it take Tyreek Hill to acquire the necessary skills to go out and beat Kamaru Tyreek Uzman? Hill isn't very smart, so I would say quite a bit longer than Greg Hardy. <laughs> what I was saying, what I was getting at, yeah. is, a, is a freak athlete, the greatest athlete on the planet, at 170 or 185, it's going to take them years to get the type of skills to beat Kamaru Usman or to beat Israel Desanya or to beat Yoel Romero, whatever these top guys in those ways. Years. If Greg Hardy fought Stipe Miocic tomorrow, yeah, he's the underdog. He's fighting the champ. But he's always gotten there's, out. There, there's a legitimate chance. Yeah, the power is always an out. Yeah, Stipe's not exactly got a cast iron chin, and, and Greg Hardy is a giant, very mobile and fast heavyweight who mm-hmm. hits like a truck. Mm-hmm. Could he not, on a theoretical level, go out there and punch him out? Yeah, yeah, he could. That That's the thing with heavyweight, is that you don't need the same experience. So whereas he is not on Volkov's level, Volkov's more, he's a fight for the Bellator heavyweight championship. He's been around forever. He's got like almost 40 pro fights. He's fought in everybody. And he's looking good lately. But yeah, could Greg Hardy win this fight? Because they're heavyweights. It's, it's a, and it's, it's a different. Russia. Do you have like a, it's any, a different any greasy class. theories about this? It seems like a Cody Safik greasy theory type of situation. A friend of mine fought in Russia, and he said the biggest thing that he had to overcome was the Russians were trying to fuck with him actively the whole time. They started off by leaving him at the airport for three hours. Oh, sorry. Oh, the language barrier. Your ride's over here. He said once he got to the hotel, they then would get people to, like, come knock on the door for different things. The fire alarm gets pulled at 3 a.m. He's got to get up. He's got to get out of his room. The next day, they tell him, you got a bunch of media stuff to do. you got to do some interviews before the fight. They put him in a car with a chauffeur and had him drive around St. Petersburg for six hours. There was no media interviews, and eventually the driver's like, oh, I can't find it. Sorry, it got canceled. Bring him back to the hotel room. Didn't provide him the right food. Didn't, didn't provide him anything. <clears throat> He's like, the weight cut was super hard. Basically, all the cards are stacked against me, and then the second I got stung, they just stopped the fight. Like, they didn't let me fight on. They were just like, oh, he's hurt, and stopped the fight. He's like, I would never. He goes, the only reason I took it was they were paying pretty good. And that's what they're known for, is that yeah. if, you're, if you're a UFC yeah. veteran. We're going to make this a real pain in the ass. For you know you. how many we'll UFC pay, veterans we'll pay go you. to Russia to die? Yeah. Almost all of them. Because it's like, you're used to getting paid ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 in the UFC. You get cut. You think LFA. Do you, if you knew what LFA paid, you'd be fucking shocked. So you go to Russia and you take the big payday and you, you get your ass kicked. Hardy's going to Russia. He's getting a decent payday. The stack, the cards will definitely be stacked against him. But what he's got going for him is he's a multimillionaire out of a reputable team. Like he doesn't got to play the average shit that my buddy had to play. He doesn't got to play the average shit that uh, a prelim guy has to play. Like he's the headliner. He might not even be at the same hotel as them. Like he's going to have advantages. But it's a quick turnaround and I don't know. Listen, I mean... If you know his story, it's hard to say I'm rooting for Greg Hardy. So, yeah, I hope Volkov fucks him up. But if there's a chance to make some money here, we can't overlook it, right? I mean, that's what we're trying to Mm -hmm. ultimately offer to the viewers is let's hit some winners, right? So let's do it this weekend. 11 fight offering, little less. We got a Bellator cut. I think there was something that we were supposed to touch more on. Rory McDonald, underdog money? No. No. We talked about during earlier in the episode. I should have made a note. I think I put a little box to write a note, but then I didn't make a note. Oh, yeah. You were like at the end of the show. No, I think it was Greg Hardy, though. Was it Greg Hardy? I think so. I hope so. All right. Okay. Well, that's that about wraps it up, then. That wraps it up for us this week. Thank you, Cody Staff, for breaking down the fights with me, as always. For Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.